Hello and welcome to another episode in a brand new season of the Health Pulse podcast. I am your host, Greg Horn, and in season two of our podcast series, we're focused on healthcare innovation and looking to uncover where technology and new approaches will change the world of healthcare and life sciences. As you know, we are now producing the podcast in two formats. So if you've been an audio listener in the past, then I would like to suggest you also check us out on the soft SAS software channel on YouTube. And of course, we welcome your questions and comments as always on both that YouTube channel and also at our email address, which is the Health Pulse Podcast at SAS.com. So this episode, I am going to be joined by my guest, Reggie Townsend. And Reggie is a SAS colleague, and he is the director of the newly formed data ethics practice that we've just put together at SAS recently. And we wanted to bring Reggie back on what bring Reggie onto this podcast, because we had some excellent feedback from an episode we did at the start of the year, where we talked about data ethics and the role of analytics and the like in bias and ethics. And that can be found on our back catalogue. The interest was huge. And it just shows you that feedback really does help us with the content creation. So remember, do supply comments, do uh, email us and help us keep uh, adding new content to the podcast that is relevant to to the audience. So uh, over to you now then, Reggie. So please introduce yourself. Actually, before we get into it, whereabouts in the world are you today? So I'm in Chicagoland today, uh, where it is uh, actually getting cold. I think we're supposed to get a warming trend here this this, uh, weekend, uh, which I am very much looking forward to because, you know, cold is cold. (laughs) Yeah, it was zero degrees when I got up this morning here in Toronto. Uh, Winter is very much on its way, for sure. (laughs) I will stop complaining right now. So, uh, Reggie, let's just start off. Tell us a bit about your background and the things you did prior to this role, um, and then a little bit about the new role. Yeah. So, um, you know, I'll, I'll spare the the long, drawn-out version of, you know, life before SaaS. Just suffice to say, I spent a lot of time in technology, a couple of decades now, um, which either makes me very old or experienced. You take your pick. Um and yeah, it came to SAS a little over six years ago, Greg, and uh, started off doing work uh, from a professional services standpoint, working with our, our life sciences organizations uh, from a uh, just kind of a, a SAS deployment perspective, right? Making sure that uh, we were we were crafting the right kinds of deals for our customers, uh, making sure that they were getting the right technology at the right time in the right places, making sure that we had people showing up doing what they're supposed to do. and. Uh, and then got very much into our, our cloud work and uh, spent a lot of time there just kind of joining um, kind of the professional services in addition to our cloud activities together. And again, uh, it's all about you know, developing uh, opportunities and making sure that um, we were positioning the, the best possible solutions for the problems that we understood. Fantastic. And the other thing we always get folks to do at the start of the podcast is tell us about something personal, like a hobby or an interest. What do you do when you're not at SAS? (laughs) So a few things. Um, So one that's kind of top of mind because uh, uh, tomorrow is a pretty special day. So I do uh, improv comedy. Uh, People don't know that. Uh, And so, yeah, see your face. So um, (laughs) tomorrow uh, we will hit the stage for the first time. Uh, since the pandemic began. Uh, so, uh, you know, we perform with a mask on and all that good stuff. So it'll be 
interesting to say the least. But uh, yeah, I've been doing that for a number of years now. And it, it kind of started off with the idea of just stretching out, doing something new, just kind of getting outside of myself. Um, turned out that some people said, hey, you're actually decent. And, you know, we want to we have you be a part of our, our team and the whole thing. And, and so, yeah, we've been performing for a number of years now together. And uh, uh, like I said, get a chance to hit the stage uh, as a group again uh, tomorrow for the first time in a long time. So I'm looking forward to that. That's fantastic. I, I love the idea of improv comedy. I've been to see a few shows like that. So, mm -hmm. yeah, that's uh, that's quite something. So it, it would then uh, seem to me I could pretty much throw any question at you today and there's going to be an improvised response immediately. So that opens a challenge, <laughs> I'm sure. <laughs> that, that's, that's fair. There's probably some truth to that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, Reggie, you were recently asked to lead the creation of this new ethics practice within SAS. Can you tell me a little bit about that background? Okay, why do we need that in the first place? Mm, yeah, good question. So, you know, I like to start these kinds of responses off with um, a grounding, which is to say, you know, we've been around for 45 years, right? Um, so it's not to suggest that we've been unethical for 45 years, right? Just because we just we started a practice. What we saw was that there's a, a uh, increasing market need um, for this space. And we'll, we'll talk, I'm sure, a little bit more about what data ethics is and what it means. But um, we want it to be a lot more intentional than we were. Uh, you know, we, we do a lot in terms of technology development and deployment and so on. Uh, and so while it is important that every individual who's involved is, you know, doing the right thing and staying compliant with you know, law and all these sorts of things. All that's very important. What you find in the space of AI in particular is that, you know, AI grows on itself. And so we've got to, you need only look out into the marketplace and see a number of examples where, um, people are like legitimately getting in trouble <laughs> for, um, technology, I'll say not quite gone awry, but certainly being used in ways that weren't previously intended. And so just trying to get out in front of some of that becomes really important. And so, um, you know, quite frankly, part of our job is to uh, create a consistent and coordinated approach to uh, to governing our AI and ensuring that, you know, there's it, an all hands on deck approach uh, to how we message around this sort of thing and um, how we how we design into our technology um, kind of ethical practice and so on. So that's that's kind of the the role. Um, as you said, we are we are newly formed and, and quite frankly, um, still challenging the scopes, uh, the limits of our scope and uh, understanding what will be in and out and that sort of thing. So, Fantastic. And, yeah. and so you, you mentioned there this idea of, you know, why, uh, why you need to look at bias in, in analytics. I do a lot of presenting on this subject myself, actually, and I, I pull up some examples. One of the things that always gets people thinking, first of all, and, and it kind of helps frame the conversation, is, is where things have gone wrong in this space in the past. So mm -hmm. can you give me a quick example of something that, that kind of shows <laughs> why we need this because it didn't work somewhere? Yeah, and, you know, quite frankly, this is the... Um the squeaky wheel gets the oil kind of phenomena. Um, there, there are a lot of infamous examples. Uh, I, I won't name names of companies, just um, that that won't be useful. But you know, thinking about uh, hiring practices that have gone upside down, or discriminatory lending, or <clears throat> highly questionable policing. 
um, and you know, uh, judgments rendered uh, rendered uh, as it relates to sentencing and those sorts of things. Like there's the 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 AI, and we should probably spend some time Greg, kind of defining what we mean by that. But you know, yeah. w- where it shows up, where these decisions are being made with the use of technology um show up in many facets of, of our lives and yeah the the areas where it's gone horribly badly is as as have all gotten a lot of attention and necessarily so uh and so yeah there there are there are a lot of ai gone wrong stories that we can you know we can point to and I, um, I like to be optimistic in these things. So uh, tell me a bit about where it's gone right. And I'd like to spend a bit more time on this because I think that where it's gone right kind of proves the, not only the need for your group, but the need mm. for, for continuous development as well. Yeah. So if it's okay, let me spend a, a little bit of time. Just, I, I don't know who's listening, right? So it's important that we get baseline on, on AI. Absolutely. So, um, you know, I, I'm a fan of thinking about AI kind of as a composite, um, everything from, the ingestion of data and quite frankly, you know, surveying and all those sorts of things that go into the creation of a quote unquote data set all the way through the analytic modeling required. So the descriptive and predictive analytics all the way through the visualization of that, of that analytic uh, load and, you know, the decisions made as a result of it and so on. So that, there's a, a, a whole life cycle. It's that's what we call it the analytic life cycle, but, you know, really, the market is is defining that more broadly as AI these days. You know, previously, you know, AI was associated with, you know, cyborg <laughs> robots, right? <laughs> People, you know, think Terminator and that sort of thing. But one could arguably say that your bank ATM is is AI, right? We we can go there. Um, but it's important to kind of baseline that because throughout uh, all these examples, what's core to each example is is uh, this concept of an algorithm. Well, basically, it's a set of instructions, right? Uh, and and we're programming computers to take, you know, make decisions on the basis of some input, right? That That's the fundamentals. Uh, and so while there are a number of examples, as we've already cited, where these instructions have been either um, uh, uh propagated with data that was flawed, right, in some way, shape, or form, or decisions were rendered in ways that may not have been uh, completely uh, thought through before they were were uh, established, right, before those uh, uh, d- decisions were, were made in such a way that they might potentially hurt people, right? Um, though, those, uh, those decisions, obviously, as I said, are, are, are horrible. But at the same time, there are decision sets that are used every single day that that go well. So, you know, like I say, you know, your bank ATM, right? If you've ever flown on an airplane, <laughs> chances are, you know, you've had a route that's been optimized for that flight, right? There's decision science or data science or AI built into that. If you've ever, um, heck, you know, uh, one of my other hobbies is I like to DJ, right? Uh, and I, I uh, love music. And so during the pandemic, when we were shut down, watching videos of different DJs and getting recommendations on new people that I might want to hear, right? That's that's AI or, you know, recommendation engines. Um, if anyone has ever been evacuated because of inclement weather coming, right? Tornadoes, hurricanes, etc. Those are forecast models that are used. That's AI at work. And so, I think the the takeaway, and then I'll pause here, Greg, 
is when it works, we don't say, yay, AI, <laughs> right? <laughs> we just say, hey, you know, the plane went up and it came down and it was really uneventful. And that's a good thing, right? But when it goes wrong, then we hear a lot about it. And again, necessarily so. Uh, so it's important, you know, kind of increase our levels of literacy around what it is, where it, where it shows up and those sorts of things. Uh, in addition to being able to know how to you know, op- optimize it, manipulate it, et cetera, et cetera. Oh, it's interesting. And, and I think it's important to know that you know, in healthcare, life sciences, we can learn a lot from other industries as well. I, um, every time I go to Las Vegas, I end up in a dreadful hotel room and that is AI in action. They know that I'm not a big gambler. They know I'm mm-hmm. unlikely to kind of do much for the profits of Vegas. So they put me in a room that faces the dumpsters. And, mm-hmm. you know, if they get that decision wrong, it doesn't necessarily particularly matter. But in healthcare, there are much more consequences to getting it wrong. So is that the kind of thing you're looking at in your practice? Talk a little bit about some of the methodology you're going to use and and how are you going to measure success? How do you know if you're actually doing the right thing with this? <laughs> so that's a good question. Some of this is still being defined, to be quite honest with you. But one of the um, best practices that we uh, have um, adhered to is just initially the establishment of a set of principles, right? So if you think about it um, from this vantage point, uh, principles drive your values, values drive your behaviors, right? And so from a principles perspective, um, we are starting everything with a human-centric point of view, right? So what is it that is going to promote well-being and human agency and equity, right? So, um, you know, my, my, my challenge is always to the team to say, you know, we should always start with the most vulnerable populations in mind, because if you take care of the most vulnerable, then everyone else is generally going to be okay. So if we can... In our decisions, and I'm talking about from the point of design through development, deployment, etc. If we always take a pause and consider the most vulnerable impacted by the technology, the decision, the process, etc., then we're starting in the right place. And then dotted around that that uh, human centricity is. You know, topics like transparency and privacy and security and accountability, inclusivity, robustness. And so starting with those principles in mind, Greg, we then start to um, look at how those principles or the attributes associated with those principles show up in our technology. So one of the things we're doing now is we're actively going through our entire product portfolio to say, you know, how does it reflect inclusivity how does it reflect transparency etc cetera, etc cetera, and kind of weaving that whole data ethics story throughout uh the entirety of the portfolio and actually uh, one other thing just comes to mind is we've been working with data for good for a couple of years now actually mm-hmm. um is that something you're going to be now having an influence over as well where we look at those projects i, I think we've done some great work uh, particularly stuff i've been involved with in the mental health space has been it's been both interesting but also uh caused a lot of uh, change as well so would you work with that team too yeah in some respects um you know it's important to see see this as kind of two sides of perhaps one coin um Data for good is uh, typically associated with uh, corporate social responsibility. Um, one might argue it's it's part of a, a, a philanthropic uh, attitude, right? Uh, and, and that's all good. That's core to who we are as a company. Uh, it's, it's absolutely necessary, 
what we're doing with the data ethics practice is baking um, this idea of ethics into our commercial interest. So that's a principally distinct set of activities. So on one hand, um, you know, you you put kind of volunteer effort uh, behind trying to do the right thing. On the other hand, you're doing the right thing because it's also in your economic best interest. And so, you know, two sides of the same coin is, is how I see those two uh, two activities. That's really interesting to hear. I think it's a very important distinction as well. So I'm really glad we kind of touched in on that. And then sort of building on that, actually, then. So what excites you most about the future of the data and ethics practice within SAS? Um, you know, so I tend to be a relatively hopeful guy. <laughs> Um, I, I think that what, I don't want to use the, the broader we, this is, this is not just about our practice, this statement, this is the broader we, you know, if, if we, uh, get this right and this being kind of the, um, proper development and deployment of AI related technologies, then we really have the opportunity to, uh, make a tangible difference in the lives of people. Uh, and it's important to know that, you know, from an ethics perspective, if, you know, if we get it right and, you know, Microsoft gets it wrong, then everybody loses, right? If mm-hmm. Google gets it right and we get it wrong, everybody like, this is a, this is a community, man, of, of people who need to be contributing to um, a set of standards and expectations around what ethics means and how ethics shows up uh, in our you know, in our lives, both our digital lives, our physical lives, et cetera. Um, so, you know, I'm excited that you there is a community of folks now who are participating in this um, uh, establishment of not just of principles. Every company's, you know, a lot of companies anyway are developing their own principles similar to what we have. Um, we, we're all, uh, to some extent, uh, offering recommendations to, uh, you know, legislators, et cetera. Um, so I think there is a groundswell of activity around this. And I think we'll get it right. You know, you only have to look over the course of human history to see how uh, new trends introduce themselves. And, you know, you go through this curation process, and, you know, almost, you know, how you learn about in team dynamics, the, the storming, forming, norming, like we're in the process of storming right now as an industry. And I, so i, I I feel really confident that we'll form a norm over time where I get really interested slash concern is, is this idea of, uh, of forming and norming around um, uh, objectivity, right? Sufficient transparency, uh, the lack of bias, right? Because the last thing we want to do is fortify the systems of old into the new digital systems of the future, right? Uh, we've we've learned well. We should have learned enough lessons about what has not gone well about our past to try to mitigate against that, such that we can build on um, a brighter possibility for every single human being. That's really interesting. You know, that makes me think a bit about a couple of things you mentioned. It made me think about the episode we did with uh, Dr. Wynn from the Massey Cancer Center. Mm-hmm. He talked about trust and he, he talked about something. Like you've, you've had a chance to hear that. Um, what are your reflections on what he talked about in that and, and how does it relate to your work? 
Yeah. So, you know, one of the big takeaways for me and in, in listening to Dr. Wimpy's, um, you know, there, there's, there's this idea around, um, I'll call it leveling out the medical information, the knowledge base, uh, and, and uh, filtering out some of the human bias that lends itself to that, that medical canon, right? Um, you know, he talked about this idea of, uh, and, and correct me, I forget the term that he used, but this idea of, of race being associated with uh, certain diseases, right? You know, and I really identify with that because, you know, growing up in Chicago, I didn't know it at the time, but I grew up in a food desert, right? Um, it, you know, it was not uncommon to hear, you know, like my grandmother to say, you know, we're going to go out to, you know, this neighboring town, you know, where the quote unquote white folk live because there, there were there was better groceries, right? They had better produce. Um, you know, when you drove around where we were from, you know, grocery stores were relatively rare. Uh, and it seemed that the produce was questionable. <laughs> some of the uh, some of the stuff that you get from the butcher was uh, not necessarily the best. And you drive up and down the streets and you see a lot of places to go and uh, buy fried foods. Right. Uh, and, and liquor and these sorts of things didn't have fine dining establishments. And if you did, they were extremely rare and didn't last, right? Didn't, didn't stay in business for long. And so we have to start asking ourselves some hard questions to say, um, you know, do people who are economically deprived just really like, you know, fried food? <laughs> Is that the issue? <laughs> it seems really kind of awkward. Uh, uh, or is there something in the design? And I think, you know, enough scholars have proven that there's something in the design. And so I think where his point really starts to become illustrative is, well, if you uh, are subject to, because by the way, you know, if you have little to no transportation and you're subject to eating these foods that are in your immediate surroundings, um, medical science has taught us that, you know, you ingest enough fat, your cholesterol levels will go up. And so is it that, you know, economically deprived people or you know, African-American people, as an example, are um, more uh, more conditioned for hypertension or more conditioned for diabetes. No, <laughs> it's, just, it's just their food supply is messed up. Right. And if you give them better food, guess what? The levels of hypertension and diabetes go down. <laughs> so just starting off with data sets that are informed with this idea that there's some presupposition starts off wrong, right? And so when you start programming AI systems with that kind of data, guess what you're going to get? You're going to get decisions based on that bias. And so part of our job is to make sure that we're uh, properly informed with fact, uh, that we're properly um, informed and, and, and can provide historical context uh, and as best we can try to inform the technology to look for those things and to weed out uh, fact from fiction. Yeah, that's really interesting. I think uh, Dr. Wynn referred to the idea of space versus race in his, uh, in his piece. It. I think you've just really eloquently summed that up. That was great. Thank you, Reggie. Um, we, just one more question before we wrap up today. Um, I always like to think about the future and uh, think mm -hmm. about what's going to happen next. So 
When you think about ethical AI, uh, how is it going to develop in the next six months, year, however long? How are we going to get better social and environmental justice on the back of better AI? Wow, that's a big question. Um, you know, I, so one, I, 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 I know that ethical AI, responsible AI, those are kind of industry accepted terms. But I like to flip it on its head and say, what's the alternative? Unethical or irresponsible? <laughs> like, like let's let's just call it uh, AI, right? And just like we call it cars, right? We don't say ethical cars or, you know, we don't say responsible electricity. We just call it cars. Uh, now, certainly we put seatbelts in, in, in cars. We put sheathing over wiring just because that's the responsible thing to do to keep from hurting people. Uh, and I, hopefully we will get to uh, get to that point with this, this AI conversation. And I only point that out to say, um, we might be doing our dis ourselves a disservice with the semantics here. Um, so I just kind of say that out loud for you know any uh, evangelists out there working on AI. But to answer your question, um, it will lead to a more objective, if done well, a more objective future. It's important to note that we're having a conversation right now largely about technology. Technology unto itself will not be the cure, right? These are um, these are human issues that we're dealing with. And so it's going to take uh, human beings to show up and be better and want to be better, uh, in addition to technology that augments us and helps us in our decision-making, uh, in addition to putting processes around some of uh, our decision-making, you know, the uh, kind of checks and balances in, in corporate spaces or um, laws and, and governmental spaces, et cetera. So, you know, there's a lot of work to be done around the technology in addition to the technology. Um, but I'm, I'm hopeful, like I said, man, earlier, I'm, I'm a hopeful dude. So if, uh, if we show up with, as technologists with um, something that allows us to uh, create a more objective, a more equitable future, then I'm hopeful that the rest of the human beings around us will will jump on board and um, and try to make the the world. This sounds really trite. Make the world a better place, right? Um, but 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 that's real, right? I, I think there are too many people whose potential goes untapped, uh, who don't live lives that uh, are thriving, you know, thriving lives, um, and. Maybe we can just be a small part of making that better for them. Brilliant. But thank you. Thank you, Reggie. That's really inspiring. I, I, it's great to hear at the end there. And uh, thanks for all your insights and discussions on the episode today. Um, so now it's over to you, our audience. Uh, we welcome your questions and comments at the Health Pulse podcast at sas.com. Also, don't forget, you can comment on the YouTube channel as well. Let's particularly think about this idea that, yeah, we don't talk about safe cars anymore. Like, how, how do we make our AI just AI and, and ensure that everything we do is best practice? Uh, I'd be really interested to get comments and questions along those lines as well. So please remember to subscribe through your usual podcast channel or through the uh, YouTube channel so that you make sure you get future episodes. And uh, we look forward to seeing you back in the future. As a reminder, my name's been Greg Horn. I've been your host today. Thank you very much for joining myself and Reggie. And we're welcoming to you to another episode very soon. Thank you and bye. <laughs>